Yo. There's certain things that I can talk to you about that I can't really with my dad. I don't think we should talk about this. Hello, this is Lynn and Jen. And uh, today we have a, a new program, a new edition, which is uh, Spotlight on Sex. Uh, we are uh, commenting really on news-related matters uh, that have sexual uh, impact or knowledge or story. And we hope to continue this each week and have commentary on books and films and uh, current events that really are directly related to sexual matters. So uh, are you up for this, Jen? (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited. So I I thought to give a little bit of background is this idea really came up around, you know, I remember when I was a kid that we would do these current events. And Lynn and I talk about having conversations about sex. And so we figured, well, why don't we provide some of the information and just kind of highlight some opportunities about things that could be discussed? And really what we're thinking about as much like the weekly readers of years ago or the news articles we brought in as kids, that this would stimulate conversations for families, for parents and children, that there really be different areas to talk about that are stimulated by news stories. So our first sex spot is related to uh, a recent uh, news event this week. Uh, The Supreme Court refused to hear the transgender case of a 17-year-old boy in Virginia who was asking if he could use the boy's bathroom in his high school. And uh, according to the uh, guidelines reaffirmed by Obama, who used Title IX, Title IX bans discrimination on the basis of sex in schools receiving federal money. And uh, President Obama had uh, really determined and set up a political frame that transgendered individuals would be protected under Title IX and be able to utilize respective bathrooms. So this is uh, very current in the news, and uh, maybe, Jen, you could go through some of the pros and cons of this so it could really hear both sides. Sure. I mean, I I think the important thing in, in highlighting here is really what are some of the issues that come up and, you know, what can be talked about. I think one of the big things to talk about is the fact that even just in October, you know, the Supreme Court had agreed to hear this case. And now we're in early March, and I think it speaks to how important guidelines can be, especially on a federal level, in terms of affecting the lives of individuals, and in particular in this example of of trans kids. And so some of the pros that you and I talked about are really, you know, the pros are that in in having guidelines that support um, the bathroom rights of trans children, it helps them in socially transitioning. It can help them and their parents. You know, it, it protects their privacy. And maybe we should say what social transitions really are for transgendered youth. Their uh, recent studies have indicated that uh, effective social transitions where a child takes on the name of the gender that they identify with, they're allowed to wear the clothing of that gender, they really describe and define themselves as being part of that gender. The pronouns. Exactly, the pronoun switch. So this boy, the 17-year-old boy, 
defines himself as a boy, refers to himself as he, dresses as a he, and feels himself to be a he, and is treated by others in that way. Social transitioning of trans youth are associated with good mental health. And that's, I think, very important for uh, families to hear and for everyone to be aware of. And that doing it early when you have a child who has been saying for a long time persistently that they are in the wrong body or something along those lines, that the studies are starting to bear out that it's very positive to start the social transitioning young before they hit puberty. Yes. And you were also talking about privacy. Well, I think privacy comes up. It's an interesting topic because it comes up kind of on both sides is you know, some people are talking about the privacy of a trans person's rights, and some people are talking about the privacy of, you know, their children a lot of the time, and that they want to protect their children from being around a trans person. Exactly. And we'll talk more about that when we get into really the cons for this. Yeah. And then I think also like the rights of children, that's obviously a big part of this discussion. And lastly, we talked a little bit about it, but is self-esteem is one of the pros that, you know, in allowing a child to use the bathroom that affirms their gender, it helps them build a positive self-esteem. Exactly. And then maybe the last point under the pro would be that it doesn't discriminate really against transgendered individuals. Discrimination plays a role in this, as the Obama administration had written, really. Right. And I think another interesting thing that it it brings up is really kind of around children and protecting children. And what does it mean to protect the rights of all? Because, you know, a lot of people, you know, it was the whole all lives matter type thing. But under that umbrella for a lot of people, it seems trans is not under that. Yeah, exactly. Now to go on to the area of the cons here, I think the first big one, and a lot of uh, parents uh, who are uh, against this uh, uh, proposal really fear that uh, their children will be abused. They use the words, don't want their children exposed. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the underlying fears that I as a psychiatrist see there is that they align uh, these uh, trans children uh, with children with individuals who might abuse such as pedophilics. And uh, that's a a big concern that uh, a whole group of parents sees these transgendered youth and children as capable of abuse. They really associate it with abuse. Um, They're very concerned about that. Uh, I think they don't want their children to see uh, any genitals that might be different uh, in that respect. Uh, All of this is an important concern to really uh, speak to. And having talked with trans youth around use of these bathrooms, I think it's important to say uh, from the perspective of trans youth, they want to be able to use the bathroom of their sex, Uh, but they're very respectful of other individuals, and there's no reason to really think that they would abuse at any higher rate than normal children. And I think, as I've talked about earlier in other podcasts, there's concerns about abuse, but they don't fall into this category. 
I agree with that. I think one of the other things that I see, though, isn't just, I mean, I think some people are arguing about the trans child abusing somebody, but I think the argument has sort of been a protect the children in terms of, well, if we allow this to happen, won't people who are actually pedophiles just dress up as somebody of the other gender and go in and you know, say, oh, well, whatever, I'm a trans person, so I can do this. I think that is a lot more of the fears that I hear. I still don't think they're they're um, founded or warranted in terms of, you know, reflecting how it would actually go. I think if somebody is acting very strange in the bathroom, people are likely to bring that up no matter what. But that is kind of the, I hear a shift in the argument in terms of like, okay, fine, maybe trans children aren't going to be abusing other people but what about these pedophiles but with that argument jen you know anybody could dress up and act in strange ways and go into the bathroom they don't need a a trans identity to do that and exactly and currently we're the abuse that we see in bathrooms with children really often involves other groups of children who have a psychological disturbance or, sadly, teachers or uh, other staff members who are involved and haven't been properly vetted. Uh, so I think for parents to be aware of that, but to not really necessarily connect it with our trans youth. Exactly. I think another thing to bring up, too, is some people are arguing, well, you know, fine, maybe they should be allowed to use bathrooms, but why don't they use private bathrooms? And I think that's another important angle to address, too, is because what it brings up for me is the whole separate but equal isn't actually equal. Yeah, and it reminds uh, me of the issues really from the 60s uh, uh, that uh, with respect to race, that certain races had to use certain bathrooms, they had to use certain schools, and segregation really is not equal in that sense. So uh, again, it's uh, that's an, an important concern to be aware of. I think lastly, we're really looking at religion's attitudes about uh gender and uh for a long time uh, many religions have very strong attitudes about homosexuality and gay individuals and uh that's had a huge impact on our country really delaying certain rulings and uh de- preventing protections really for individuals so here again i think uh certain religions are not really receptive to what uh, is occurring in the world of gender. And they see uh, gender as, you know, a a barrier that really shouldn't be passed. They really don't want their children exposed to issues of gender. And I think in terms of our children, speaking as a child psychiatrist, these are areas that we really have to open up. Our kids are aware of it. Our kids, as is this boy, Gavin, he's really leading the way for our country to really look at these issues. Yeah, I agree. I think what comes up in conversations that I have, just to kind of present the other side too, is that it's really this um, th- this perspective of trans and homosexuality as deviant. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that you and I really believe in is that it's just part of the spectrum. It's part of you know homosexuality being on the sexuality spectrum and trans being on a gender spectrum so they're not the same thing i think that's very important to point out because a lot of people um who maybe don't know as much about it often do confuse the two 
But I think it's really, you know, do you look at it as deviant behavior or do you look at it as just part of an ongoing spectrum? Exactly. Well, we encourage everyone to think about this issue. It brings up the gender spectrum that you allude to. Uh, Jennifer, it's really important, I think, to look at those ideas and think about how they impact on ourselves and our children. Uh, So with that, we'll move on. Yeah, so I think just to summarize, one of the things is that I think you can see just from this small discussion, there are so many jumping off points. And that's really the idea is once you talk, once you start talking about one thing, they're all so interconnected. So you can take different paths and different avenues. So yeah, as you were saying, um, another thing that's been going on, another, um, our sex spot too, <laughs> is really around the Marine Corps and the sexting, or maybe sexting isn't quite the right word, but the sharing of photos without, um, sharing of photos of women in particular without their consent on a Facebook page. Right. In this recent event, uh, a group of Marines uh, defined as Marines United and estimated to be maybe 30,000, 40,000 Marines had a site where they shared military news and humor. And I think of our own sex spots are kind right. of like this. And uh, only their site included a number of photos of general women, female Marines, girlfriends, spouses, and they were very sexually revealing and were accompanied by a lot of negative and very sexual commentary. Uh, so this has uh, really brought up a lot of issues. Apparently, the site had been up for months, maybe even years, and now there's commentary about what should be done about it. Yeah, I've read a little bit more about it, and I think it sounds like this transition, I don't know how long the site has been up, but the posting of you know, nudes or just um, these personal photos of women really came about when the Marines started allowing women to to join or were forced to, depending on how you look at it. And so I, I think it brings up a lot of important issues, which is why we want to discuss it. And I think in, in a funny way, you know, Mitt Romney had his binders full of women. This is kind of another version of that, where it. I think what is really fascinating about it is it wasn't just these photos which are problematic in themselves but really they would list you know their names their ranking their social media handles like where they're stationed so it was really a violation of their privacy i think that's one of the most important factors in all of this are talking points really women's privacy is violated by this type of action and uh, recently we've been seeing a number of these websites in high schools yeah where groups of boys will organize a website to really highlight nudes of, of girls and women and uh, it's a big violation of personal privacy and also violation of trust that you trust your fellow students and your co-marines and as you stated women are only about seven percent of the marines today And I think what's really fascinating, too, is that it isn't just the nude photos, but it's just kind of the photos. And and what one of the women who came forward talked about was that, you know, she didn't have nude photos, but they were just photos of her and the commentary on them. They were incredibly degrading. They would insinuate, if not actually state, you know, that she should be sexually assaulted or raped. And obviously those things are... You know, the Marines came out with a statement that, you know, 
it destroys morale, it erodes trust, and it degrades the individual. And that really gets to the heart of the matter. Oh, and it brings up again, sadly, the gender-based issue of misogyny and uh, hatred, really, of women and how these things come up repeatedly in our culture. And often people will say, well, they're just joking and uh, it's just a sense of humor and they should be able to have this type of fun. And that's one of the things that uh, Marines and other individuals have brought up here is really this concern. I think in high school, what you see a lot of like other people are doing it. So, you know, why am I the one being targeted? Yeah. In high school, there's always the uh, kind of the fallback of pornography and underage pictures, which is an even separate issue. But I think about these young women being flagged in our country. Here they are, female Marines. They are really heroines to advance some of the uh, ideas, you know, of, of women as being strong and different types of role models. And then they're being treated in this way. It really takes away from their power and strength. It does. And I think it's interesting, this idea that, you know, they're overreacting or they're being victims, they're looking for attention. You know, these are a lot of things that people will say. What I found really promising, too, is that, you know, it was really um, these men in the Marines who stood up. They were upstanders. So we talk sometimes about upstanders, bystanders, upstanders, obviously being somebody who stands up for somebody, bystanders being somebody who sees something happening, watches it, and doesn't say anything about it. And then the people who are actually, you know, inflicting the harm. And so I think what's really powerful is that you see that it it doesn't just have to be women standing up for women. It doesn't have to be a women versus man, men issue. But really, it's just about when you see something that isn't right, what do you do about it? Exactly. And how important it is that men and boys stand up for these gender-based issues of misogyny. That group is really some a group of people who are strong, too. They're really heroes to do this. And I think another thing that comes up for me is, you know, there are some boys or men that I talk to who have this idea that you know, boys are just kind of animalistic. They're they're young. They, you know, are just thinking about sex. And so in a way, they can't be held responsible. Have you encountered that kind of <laughs> I think that used idea? to be the old view of men and boys, that yeah. their impulses, you know, their biology, their testosterone, really uh, forced them to do these activities. And they couldn't really stop themselves. And that's an old and unfortunate characterization of men, just like the misogyny characterizes women. So we're working and really breaking that and looking at things differently. I think what's really interesting, too, is that so just one moment, I'm trying to get the guy's name right. Thomas Brennan is the one who wrote about this in his website, The War Horse. Yes. Mm -hmm. And So the Marine Corps were alerted through that. But because he came out about this, he has instantly received death threats to members of Mm. his family um, from members of the group. He said there was even one member who is offering, quote, 500 bucks for nudes of his wife. And, you know, so I, I think it's very important to talk about all these things. It's important to talk about the backlash that does happen being an upstander does make you stand out and people will often attack in very aggressive ways. Well, they retaliate and they retaliate a lot around sexual matters. When women stand up, 
yes. they retaliate. And our next sex spot is really right up this uh, in this area. It's about misogynistic treatment of Kellyanne Conway. Exactly. So I thought it would be a nice transition. <laughs> so so you, you're right on it. Why don't you tell us about what's going on with Kellyanne? Well, uh, Kellyanne Conway, it, within, I'd say, the last two or three weeks, but it, it really had started before then. Uh, she had uh, been, there was negative commentary about her, and I, like others, had noticed that it wasn't that different than the commentary directed in the summer and fall at Hillary Clinton. So comments about her hair, her makeup, her dress, her shoes, instead of what she was saying and her ideas and her position and her power. So there was really a lot of commentary uh, about her appearance. Now, uh, with respect to Kellyanne, there was a a recent photo that showed her in the Oval Office uh, sitting on a couch, and she's actually sitting uh, back on her legs or on her knees on the couch, so to speak. And this is not an unusual position for women. And I think uh, women everywhere who see this photo will realize that when you wear heels all day and stockings or you're wearing skirts and heels, it's often difficult to really be in that position standing up, and you often sit on a, a couch or chair in that position to relax and relax the legs. So uh, we might see the photograph that way, but many saw the photograph as uh, Kellyanne being in a position for oral sex. They linked it with uh, Monica Lewinsky and her experiences in the Oval Office. Uh, So there's a whole criticism that developed around that and then became connected with other commentary about Kellyanne's uh, appearance. So all of this was uh, extremely uh, disturbing, really, to hear about. I think why Kellyanne Conway is interesting to talk about, too, is because obviously you and I have talked a little bit about our political leanings, and we're not super supportive of how she is presenting certain information or what she supports. But so it really brings up what does it mean to support other women? You know, how do you Mm -hmm. support women who don't agree with you? And I think that's a lot of what's been interesting is that, one, Kellyanne Conway has been attacked by both men and women but also that a lot of women on the so-called left are also attacking Kellyanne in this same way, in a sexist way. And I think that's really um, important to explore. And it happens to women, regardless of their politics, that women are attacked for clothing, appearance, connections with family, how they parent, all of these issues. When I think of of Kellyanne, I first really listened to her uh, the night of our national election, when she was one of the first people to really, I think, formulate and see that President Trump uh, was going to win the election. And she stated it very clearly, matter-of-factly. And I was impressed, really, with her calm appearance, the way she presented that data. And uh, it really (laughs) flew in the face of a lot of other information and hope. But I listened to her, and I thought she was a very good communicator at that time. That's not something we hear talked about very often with respect to her. Well, I think it's hard to acknowledge that because of what she's supporting and how she went about crafting this very effective campaign. So for me, I am able to go, okay, wow, like she did a good job crafting this campaign. At the same time, 
like, I don't want to support the campaign because it was very sexist. It was very derogatory. It was very negative. And so I think that that brings up again that idea of like, okay, so how do you give the woman her props for what she's done? That was her job. At the same time, how do you then focus, I think, on facts like that instead of saying like, why is she wearing that? Why does she look haggard? Why does she, you know, like all these comments. Yeah. And it's more about refocusing our arguments really with women in power, powerful women on their ideas and what they're saying and what they're putting forward, really, their conversations, Jen. That's important. Right. You know, to really listen to her and to say, well, we don't agree with these issues, Miss Conway, that you're really talking about. You know, we have a disagreement here. We think the campaign that you are part of really damaged women in this way. But it's not about really damaging her character or her person, or really attacking her as a woman. You know, there's an argument in philosophy, this kind of ad hominem, where you go after one person, you attack them as a person. And this is an example of that. It's really disturbing. I think what's really interesting, too, is that it brings up the issue around feminism, and like, what what is feminism? Mm -hmm. How is a person feminist or not feminist? And I think a big argument is there's this idea pushed forward, particularly by conservatives, that feminism is the same thing as man-hating. And that that just isn't accurate. It's really about equal opportunity for, you know, all genders. But I think it's it's interesting because it brings up things around, like, the clothing and acting more feminine or not and... Still, you know, on one side, there's sort of Hillary Clinton, who is seen as, in a sense, almost overly masculine and not, you know, acting appropriate for a woman. But also Kellyanne Conway, on the other hand, who is more stereotypically feminine, is attacked as kind of being more of a slut. And so you're, either way, you're, you're attacking the women on their appearance and their presentation. And really, it's about this sense that these women are threatening the control of men. Or, or the control of our culture, even, that women's yeah. power really attacks our culture. And I think it's so important to think about what each of these women have brought to the U.S. culture during the last years They've contributed their ideas, they've contributed their actions, their energy, their faces are known to us. And what you're talking about is we really characterize them as either shrews or sluts, and we put them down and we really do not respect, you know, what they have contributed. And it takes away from their ideas. Exactly. And the power, not only of women, but of all of us to have that tremendous power. So on the, that note, I think uh, we're ending our sex spots for the uh, this particular week. But we've talked about, I think, some really interesting and important issues, and they fit together. You know, some of the misogyny really in the Marines and directly in the news media with respect to Miss Conway. And then uh, lastly, really the important gender issue where I think a lot more education really needs to take place. If you liked what you were listening today, we'd love to hear some feedback from you. So we can be reached at info at talkingsex.com. Thank you. Um.
This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcasts at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers.